0: Now we're turn our attention to the reading of God's word. We come to um, Acts 21 in our sermon series on the book of Acts. We come to verse 27. We'll be reading through 40, and I realize that essentially we're cutting this story off right in the middle. But for the sake of time and for my own sanity, we're going to cut it off in the middle. But we'll catch it up um, next week. It's good that week, by the way. It's good. That we read through the entire text and preach through the entire text of the scripture. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. And goes on and on and on. And so every text that we come to, whether it be these beautiful texts that point us to Jesus. Or these seemingly obscure ones that don't even reference God. They are significant and meaningful and they're worthy of study. And that is what we'll get to do today. Let me remind you of the story leading up to this point. The Apostle Paul has been on four missionary journeys. At the conclusion of his fourth missionary journey, he intends to go to Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem at the beginning of chapter 21, and he begins to deal with the disciples, and they're they're wondering, um, Paul, I don't know if you want to go into Jerusalem. You're probably going to die. He's like, get out of here. I, if I have to die for the Lord of Jerusalem, so be it. And so he finally comes into Jerusalem, and he's dealing with the elders of the Jerusalem church, with James, considered the brother of Jesus. And they are so excited to see him, but then they say, Paul, there's a lot lot of things being said about you. And they're not good. And the church is getting ready to divide because of you. We want you to do this. We want you to perform this Jewish ritual so that the people who we serve and minister to, Christians, will not leave what you have to say they they won't get rid of you and so paul says i'll do it and so paul does it and then we come to our text today paul has performed this vow or in the process of performing this vow that the elders have asked him to partake and this is where we come to in our text so if you have a bible you can follow along with me in verse 27 we'll go all the way to verse 40. When the seven days were almost completed, that's this Jewish ritual that I'm referring you to, the Jews from Asia, okay, not Christians, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, that's Paul, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. These Jews from Asia had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up. And the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, the Lord came to the tribune. Of the cohort, that is this Jerusalem overseeing body, that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. And so this cohort took once the soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. That's the Jews. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? He said, Do you know Greek? The man responded, Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarshish in Silesia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Look, this morning I'm going to be straight to the point. I'm going to give you my outline at the very beginning of this message. Here's what I'm going to do this morning. We're going to reflect, we're going to repent, and we're going to rejoice, Okay? If you have a bulletin, you like those sermon note things, we're going to reflect, we're going to repent, and we're going to rejoice. It's really easy. Straight to it. You don't have to think about this. Let's start by reflecting. We're going to reflect on this text. Consider this story again. I just read it, but I want you to consider it. Kind of put yourself in, this, in Paul's shoes a little bit. Paul comes into Jerusalem, and he's greeted with the news of a gross rumor of himself amongst the Jewish Christians. If there's a people that Paul wants to care for and love more than anyone, it's these Jewish Christian people just like himself. And he hears that these Jewish Christians, they don't know what to think of Paul. They think that he's saying all these weird things. It must have crushed him. James and the elders of the Jerusalem church Well, they have a plan to deal with this. And Paul most likely was thinking, absolutely, I'll do it. And so he does. It's not really worth my time figuring out what what he was doing. I I believe it is some sort of Jewish ritual, a cleansing, that would be common amongst Jews at this time. So he does this seven-day ritual that, that, that the elders have asked him to do. And at the beginning of our text, it says that this time is about to be up. For six or seven days, he's pre- performing this ritual. He's showing himself to the Jewish Christians that he's not what they think he is. But at the end of the seven-day ritual, what happens? Jews from Asia. People that he probably interacted with around Ephesus. People that wanted to kill him before they see him. And they go bananas. I mean, that's the best way that I can put you. I mean, the anger and the frustration. Now, what type of anger and frustration is this this dealing with it? Here's what I want you to think about it. This is a righteous and holy anger that these Jews have. I mean, their anger is rooted in their understanding of the temple. So it's purely religious anger and frustration. I mean, it's it's the type of anger... That we would think is like, oh, that's a good and holy and righteous anger. But these Jews are placing their anger on Paul. Think about Paul. He says, I'm a Jew of all Jews in, in, in Philippians. And now his fellow Jews, whom he cried out in Romans, oh, that I would lose my life so that they might know Christ. Hear these Jews, they cease, they grab him, they're screaming at him. Yelling at him. And they're saying to the whole city, come, we need to kill this man. Why is this man going through all of this? Why is he enduring beatings? Why is he enduring the hatred of perhaps brothers, cousins? Why is he enduring this? Simply put, he's doing it because of this. He's being obedient to the Jerusalem elders. The difficult circumstances that Paul finds himself in is rooted in his obedience to the church in Jerusalem. This is what I want you to reflect on. The difficult circumstances that Paul is enduring, the beatings, the mockings, the anger, the frustration, is rooted at heart in his obedience to the Jerusalem elders. And this is what I want us to reflect on. Obedience that leads to trials and tribulations is good obedience. But would you obey if there was the possibility of significant and difficult repercussions? Paul was willing to obey and endure the repercussions of his obedience. But the question for you to reflect on today and what we will continue to reflect on for the remaining of this day is, is your obedience rooted in your love of God or is your obedience rooted in your desire to control your your circumstances? Paul's obedience and his subsequent repercussions was not rooted in his uh, desire to control, but in his desire to love God. So the question for us that we're going to consider for the rest of this morning is, is your obedience rooted in your desire to control, or is it rooted in the love of God? We often think that if we obey, there will not be repercussions. Oh, how naive we can be. You know the book of Job, right? The essence of the book of Job was that Job was a righteous man. That he had done nothing wrong. But significant, difficult circumstances come upon him. Now, of course, at the beginning of Job, we see that there's an interaction between the devil and the Lord. And there's this, this thing that nobody knows is going on. And Job has his friends that initially they mourn with him with the difficult circumstances. But then they start to reason, oh, here's why you're experiencing these difficult circumstances. There's sin in your life. If you would just obey, you wouldn't have these significant, difficult circumstances. Just repent, Job. And what is Job's line? I have done nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with me. And for the longest time. So you have a whole book in the Bible that deals with what we're dealing with today. And here's the case. This is where I'm going to my second point. I think all of us in this room have at one point obeyed to control our circumstances. We have done what we're supposed to do in order to get what we want. And so, because this applies to every single one of us, I'm going to take us to the second point: To repent. We've reflected on this story, this difficult circumstance that has come because of Paul's obedience. And we've seen how it's caused us to reflect on our own life that we oftentimes obey simply to control our environment. But now we must repent. We must figure out the ways that this is not holy. And so to repent, let me remind you what I've put before you is repentance. Simply put, repentance is not turning from our godlessness to godliness our repentance is turning from our godlessness to god if you want to know what repentance is it's turning away from trying to control our situation and turning towards god so when i say we must repent this is what we must do it's not saying okay now we must obey you better obey and do it out of a heart full of joy and obedience yay this is really good and i'm so happy that i'm experiencing these difficult circumstances And I don't know why. And God, why? I'm asking you to turn from your godlessness of trying to control your situation and turn to God. So what are we going to repent of? We are going to repent of our godlikeness. At the heart of our obedience to control our situation, we are trying to create a world in our own image. This, my friends, is trying to To be like God. We take what God has set up and we say, you know what? I'm going to fashion this in my own image. My life in my own image. (sighs) This is not how we are intended to live. Look, I have gotten a PhD in this sort of living. When I was a child, I would listen to what my parents would say. And when I would do what they would say, life would work out just as I had thought it would. And man, I could can, I can manipulate all these situations in my life. And man, do I have a PhD in controlling my life through obedience. My obedience was not rooted in a heart and the love of God and, and my desire to please Him, my desire to obey Him just because He is good and right. It was simply to control my environment. I have a PhD. Do you? We must repent of our our obedience and perhaps of controlling God in our way. This is our sin. This is our sin when we try to control ourselves. How do we know this is coming up in our life? How do we know if our obedience is rooted in our desire to control? There's one emotion that we're going to have when difficult circumstances arise. And the the emotion that we're going to experience when difficult circumstances arise and we believe that we're obedient is this, bitterness. If bitterness arises in your heart when you deem to be righteous and you deem to be have done everything right but di- difficult circumstances arise and you are so angry at God or whatever that life is not going you are falling into this God likeness that is not from God. It needs to be turned from. Turn from our Godlike ways of controlling our environment with our own obedience. Friends, do not simply obey to control your environment. You'll be obeying yourself right to hell. I'm gonna say that again. Do not obey simply to control your environment. You'll be obeying yourself right to hell. Obedience to God for the sake of yourself is just one other way of running from God. This creates bitterness, self righteousness, and just a nasty spirit. So, how do we turn from it? How do we turn from our godlessness? Not to godliness. How do we turn from our godlessness to God? Friends, we must consider the mercy of God. And when we consider the mercy and the grace of God, we will rejoice. So we have reflected on this story where Paul has been obedient and he experienced difficult circumstances despite his obedience. And we have been seeing how how we must repent of our own obedience that is trying to control our situations, but in this needing to repent, we must see and rejoice in our merciful God. How does this story cause us to rejoice? It's quite simple. This story points us to the God who can take evil and use it for good. This story points us to the God who can take evil and use it for good. Do you know how many chapters are in the book of Acts? There's 28. And in this chapter, 21, verses 27 through 40, we have the completion of the of three-quarters of this text. Uh, it's almost done. But this particular story is the is the story that changes the trajectory of this sto- of the book for the rest of the book. This is this is perhaps the most important story. This occasion of Paul going into the temple and being accused of. And being beaten, this story shapes the last quarter of the book. Paul will go from here, and he will go to to stand before kings, and then he eventually will go on a boat to Rome, all because of this story. And it is in Rome where Paul will continue to cultivate and establish the church that is in Rome. If Paul doesn't have this story, if his obedience doesn't lead to chaos, and then this chaos leads to Paul and Rome, then we don't have a church in Rome. And if we don't have a church in Rome, then we don't have people like Augustine. And if we don't have Augustine, then we don't have people like Martin Luther and John Calvin. And if we don't have people like Martin Luther and John Calvin, then we don't have people like me and you. This chaotic situation where there's not one mention of God is used by God to bring us to this moment right now. And it shows us that what man intends for evil, God intends for good. And what we should do in light of that is rejoice. What we should do with that when we face difficult circumstances because of our obedience is say this, this is nothing for our god god can take these difficult circumstances and turn them on its head friends behold your god he is not just like oh what do i do about this situation what's going on he's in control at, at the heart he, he listen at the heart of our disobedience and trying to use obedience for our own godlike way. Here's the heart of it we don't believe that God is ultimately good. And we think that if we can obey and create this environment, we think that we're going to bring about the good when our obedience is just leading us to hell. God takes what man intends for evil and uses it for his own good. Look, if you can't, here's what I want you to see. I want you to step out of this. Think about this text that we just read. Where I want you to go is, what does this story remind you of? Does this story remind you of any other story in the Bible? Does it? Well, There's a temple. There's accusations against a man of God in the temple. There is beatings. There's things being said about him. Friends, if this story doesn't remind you of Jesus, I don't know what to tell you. you got to read it. And, and unlike Paul, the story doesn't end with him going to a Roman court. <laughs> no, no, no. The story of Jesus ends with him going to a Roman cross. And that story, once again, is a story of what man intends for evil, but God uses for his own good. This story should point us to the cross, but not just to the cross, but to the empty tomb. Because God is showing us over and over and over again throughout Scripture, throughout this text, and all that what man intends for evil, God intends for good. God is more, He is more mighty than any sort of power, whether it be a Jewish group in the temple or a Roman centurion. God is greater than that. And because God is greater and is able to utilize what man intends for evil for His good purposes, we should what? Rejoice. Rejoice in God. When we rejoice, guess what? We don't obey to control our environment. We obey to please our maker, who is able to take what is evil and use it for good. We say, Lord, regardless of the circumstances that I face, whether they be wonderful, because obeying can produce some wonderful things, friends. It, it really can. Or whether it's difficult circumstances, we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. You go, do you know how Habakkuk ends? Some of you guys are like, what? What did you say? Habakkuk? Do you know how it ends? Habakkuk was a prophet. And the way he ends his small little book is something that I want you to reflect on. Habakkuk ends it this way. If you want the Bible, you can turn to it. It's Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. But I want these words to, to shape the way we think about this story, about how I've called us to reflect, to repent, and to rejoice. Here's how Habakkuk ends his letter. Let this wash over you. On my high places Let me Lord it is often true of us that our obedience is rooted in our desire to control our environment Whew. there's not many of us in here that would endure what Paul endured many of us in here would be like Peter oh yeah we would talk a big game but when push came to shove we would run to the hills We don't like the difficult circumstances we don't like there being no fig on the tree no herds in the stalls but lord when that happens we can grow incredibly bitter we can think in our minds that you are not good but i lord i magnify you because in this story today we are reminded That you are a God of great power, of great mercy. You are a God who brings us good. And so we will rejoice. We will rejoice in you, regardless of the circumstances. We will obey, not because we have to, but because we get to. We get to trust our good, gracious God.